The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Oh God, show us what it means to welcome you into our lives, into our world, into our hearts. Amen. This morning we read Mark's telling of the story of Jesus with the children. He's talking with his disciples and then right in the middle of his teaching time he he takes a little child and uh, puts the child right among them, puts his arm around them. and talks about welcoming the child. It's the same thing as welcoming Jesus himself. Now from that story, and then there's similar ones in Luke and in Matthew, images have been suggested about what this scene might have looked like. Um, and uh, Ben, do you have those to show? I just picked some of these off of the internet. There's Jesus with the kids. And then there's Jesus with the kids. And one more. Jesus with the kids. A beautiful setting. And then, of course, from those images, ideas get lifted up about this whole Jesus welcoming children is like welcoming God himself. And that Jesus and children have so much in common I read in one place that Jesus likens children to God because children are much like Jesus. Like Jesus, children are so purely good and they're unselfish. They're meek and mild and very accepting. Kids are kind of like, well, these children that we saw on the screen and even the one with Kim with the big Jesus hand holding all the kids. Let's be honest. For any of us who've ever spent any time around kids, we know that kids aren't always like that. Yes, children can be good, they can be very good, but they can also be not so good. Kids can be very unselfish and generous, but they can also be selfish too. I remember growing up and still my favorite word was mine. Children can, yes, be very meek and mild, but they can also be really loud and very exhausting. Yes, children can be very accepting and very obedient, but there are times when they can be quite stubborn and disobedient. In other words, children, yes, children are a wonderful gift from God. All of them love children of God, but also this... Kids can also be a lot like us. Now I say all of this, which I hope is obvious. I don't mean to put down kids, but to kind of settle down the notion that kids are some kind of better than human beings who are more like Jesus than the rest of us. Perhaps they haven't acted in ways like we grown-ups act sometimes. Ways that aren't always so good and noble, but just give them time, they, they will, just like the rest of us. Now I think when Jesus talks about welcoming children, I'd like to have us consider another way that Jesus means by welcoming children. And it helps to consider the context, 
Today our reading is the second time that Jesus has predicted, has foretold what's going to happen to him. We read about it last week, and in words similar this week, Jesus says that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. They'll kill him, and three days after being killed, he'll rise again. And just like last week when Jesus said this, the disciples don't understand him yet again. Last week, Peter's the one that had said, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus said, well, and then he said how he's going to get killed. Remember what Peter did? Peter took him aside and rebuked Jesus for saying that. This week, though, they don't say anything, even though they don't understand. Maybe they don't say anything, because if you remember the second part of the story last week, Peter rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. That's not a thing we probably want to be called, Satan. So maybe the disciples were quiet because they didn't want to get called out like Peter did the last time. Or maybe, maybe they don't ask Jesus this time because they really don't want to understand what this means, that Jesus is going to have this happen to him. Because maybe that meant something would happen to them too. They don't understand Jesus, and that happens a lot in the Gospels, especially in Mark's Gospel. But now it carries added significance. Last week I talked about how Jesus was now turning himself toward Jerusalem to go on his final journey to Jerusalem. And that final journey begins last week. It continues now. And it'll end when he gets to Jerusalem on a day where there was a parade of palms. And then a few days later, he was arrested and killed. Jesus is on that journey. And the disciples are trying to go with him along that journey. But all along the way, they don't understand him. They don't understand what he's saying and what he's doing. In other words, the disciples are a lot like us. At first we see that they don't understand what Jesus says, and then they prove it in their actions, what happens next. Since they arrive in Capernaum, and Mark tells us that when, when they got in the house, Jesus asked him, said, well, what were y'all arguing about on the way? And this word way, and also it can be translated road, we read that very often in Mark's gospel. And that word is kind of a reminder for the reader that when we talk about being on the way, it's about being on the way, following in the way of Jesus onto Jerusalem. In other words, journeying with Jesus. What were you talking about on the way? Jesus says. Disciples don't say anything yet again this time. But this time they don't say anything because, well, Jesus knew what they were talking about. They had been arguing about who was the greatest. Now, disciples never say the standard that they used in their arguing about who was the greatest about. In other words, what the measure they were using. But we could guess. Maybe the standard for greatness was uh, who had been the most loyal to Jesus. Who had been with Jesus the longest. Who had been the smartest in answering questions that Jesus might ask? Who was the bravest? Who was the most of whatever? We don't read what the measure of greatness is, but it had to be something about who was on the top, who was better than the other, being, on, being above. And while we don't know what it was that the disciples argued about, 
I would, I, I would suggest that uh, their ideas of greatness aren't a whole lot different than ours. We measure greatness in the terms of power, of who is above someone else, whether that's about accomplishments or, or good deeds or, or whatever somebody's done or your, your fame or wealth or some measure that make you better. And aside, I was leaving visiting somebody in the hospital last week and I pulled up at that stoplight next to Chick-fil-A over here and Wendy's on the other side. And there was a Maserati in front of me. Now, I'm not a car person. I don't know much about cars, obvious. But a Maserati, and those are, I was impressed. Now, if I'd have seen another Prius in front of me, I'd go, Toyota, big deal. Anyway, that's a measure of greatness, a Maserati. Y'all know what a Maserati is? Did you see it as a blue car? You should have chased him down and had him come to our church. <laughs> Just kidding. Now let's notice how Jesus responds to this. He doesn't fuss at him. Instead, it says that he sits down. Now he sits down not because he's tired. He sits down because that's a very Jewish way of saying it's teaching time. When the rabbi, when the, when the synagogue leader would sit down, that means it's time to hush and listen because a teaching moment is coming. So they would gather around Jesus, and here's what Jesus says. Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. That's what the teacher says. That's quite a different teaching than what the disciples had been arguing about, about who was the greatest. Instead of teaching them about greatness, Jesus teaches them something else. Instead of striving to be on top, Jesus says, make yourself among the bottom. Greatness is determined not by how one leads, but by how one serves. Greatness is measured not by how much we strive to get, but how good we are at giving. Greatness isn't about being number one, but about making sure that others aren't at the least in the bottom of things. Greatness isn't about going up the social ladder, but going down it and actually getting off of it. And then Jesus pulls out an object lesson, not an object lesson like a, any, well, it was a kid. There's this little child, we don't know where the little child came from or who it belongs to. But he doesn't just mention a child or point out a child. He takes a child and he puts him right in the middle of all these grown-up men that are huddled around Jesus to learn. He puts his arms around them. And then he says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. And now is when it's helpful to understand the culture of her day. You see, when Jesus is talking about a child here, he's not so much talking about a sweet little pretty child like we saw in the images. Even though, obviously, Jesus loved children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They're all precious in his sight. It's a song we sing. He's not talking about sweet children, and this is a sweet little moment. You see, in those days, children had very little status, even in the household. 
They really weren't any better than slaves. And therefore, they were worth nothing in society's eyes. Now, they had potential value once they got older, once they became young adults and actually could help contribute to the household. Then they had worth, especially the boys. But until then, they were just another mouth to feed if the child didn't die before it could grow up. But until then, it, all it was was just another mouth to feed in a household that was already very poor. In other words, when Jesus takes this young child and compares this child to welcoming him, he's talking about welcoming those who are on the bottom, those who don't matter, those who are on the opposite end of any kind of a scale of greatness. To welcome a child was to welcome someone who is insignificant, of little worth. Someone like, well, like children today who are utterly dependent on others to take care of them. Because children are vulnerable. They're not productive members of our society. Jesus measures greatness by how much Jesus' followers would welcome such people, such utterly dependent people. But not only that, Jesus says that when, when people are welcoming such children as them, he's welcoming Jesus himself. It kind of reminds me of the parable of the sheep and the goats. Remember when, when, the, when, the, where were, you, know, when you were hungry, um, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat, and they said, well, who would, and Jesus said, I forgot the parable now, I just came in my head. Um, who, whenever you do it for the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you do it for me, same sense there. When we help and welcome such children, we welcome Jesus himself. Jesus, the one who is vulnerable. Jesus, who is the least. Jesus, who is totally dependent. When we welcome them, we're welcoming Jesus. It's another example, I think, of the radical presence of God being made real in the here and now of life. God coming in unexpected ways. The kingdom of God obliterating all the world's notions of what is great. Life in the kingdom is about lifting up practices of service to all in the here and now of life. And especially to those who are the least and the last and the lost. And I have a question for y'all that I hope you might consider. Who are the children that Jesus would have us welcome? Now most certainly that will include the immediate children in our lives, our biological children and grandchildren and such. But certainly Jesus calls us to have a much wider sense of welcome in regard to children. How about the children who come up front for our children's moment every Sunday? How about the children who maybe used to come up front for children's moment and now they're long gone from children's moment and even from church? How about the children who live in our community and who go to bed hungry at night? How about the children who don't have health care? How about the immigrant children who have been separated from their families? 
How about the children who live in unsafe and violent homes? Of course, like I said, when Jesus talks about children, he's not just talking about children, even though he is. He also means anyone who is on the outside of things, the ones that don't matter. Who might be such people in your life and in our world around us? Who might be on the opposite end of what our world calls great? Maybe that person's found in a nursing home or on the other side of the tracks from where we live and where we are comfortable. Who might such a person be? What might that person's face look like? The Feast of St. Francis is coming up soon. I like it so much because that's when we have the blessing of the animal service. It's going to be in a couple Sundays from now, and I love that. We had to cancel it last year because of this yucky weather, but I hope we have it this year because I love dogs a whole lot. Well, anyway, that's how we know Francis. But here's another story I came across this week. It seems that St. Francis had a fear and hatred of lepers. Lepers are people who have many, one of many different kinds of skin diseases. And, and actually some of those diseases could be contagious. Francis hated those folks. One day, though, he met a man afflicted with leprosy while he was riding his horse near Assisi. He's from Assisi. And through the sight of the leper, though the, light, the sight of the leper filled him with horror and disgust, disgust, Francis got off his horse and he kissed the leper. And then the leper put out his hand hoping to receive something. Out of compassion, Francis gave money to the leper. But when Francis mounted his horse again and looked around, he couldn't see the leper anywhere. And it dawned on him that it was Jesus whom he had just kissed. Later on, Francis wrote, when I was in sin, the sight of lepers nauseated me beyond measure. But then God himself led me into their company, and I had mercy on them. When I became acquainted with them, what had previously nauseated me became the source of spiritual and physical consolation for me. When I became acquainted with them, Francis says... Whoever welcomes one such a child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Here's my question for reflection today, and I'll sit down for a minute and let you think on it. Do we have that? Oh, he's mad. Who might you welcome? What child? What person? Picture that person's face and realize that the face you see is the face of Jesus.